All right, guys, it's time to dig in. You're listening to Killer, and we're opening case file number three, The Jameson Family Murders. Lock your doors, bolt your windows, and turn off the lights. We're about to begin. A new search is underway in Latimer County for a Eufaula family who disappeared earlier this month. Fox 23's Carrie Netherton is joining us live in our newsroom this morning. And what is the latest on this search, Carrie? Well, Anne, a large-scale search is planned for tomorrow in Latimer County, complete with a helicopter, horses, and 100 people. The family was looking to buy land in Latimer County near Red Oak, and that's the last place they were seen. Take a look at these photos. This is the missing family. Officials say Bobby and Sherilyn Jameson and their six-year-old daughter, Madison, have been missing since October 8th. Their truck was found in a rural area of Latimer County, about 30 miles from their home. The family's dog was still inside the truck, starving and barely alive. Investigators also found their possessions, including cell phones and cash. Now here's another look at the family. Bobby Jamison is 6 feet 3 inches tall, weighs about 170 pounds, has brown hair, and has a back disability. Sherilyn Jamison is 5 feet 7, also with brown hair, brown eyes, and weighs about 105 pounds. Madison has blonde hair, and her front teeth are missing. If you have any information that could help police find them, call the Latimer County Sheriff's Office, that number 465-2161, and we'll have that number again at the end of the hour. Carrie Netherton, Fox 23 News. Loved ones of a missing family from Eufaula fight to keep the search for answers alive. It's now been a year since Bobby Jamison, his wife Cheryl Lynn, and the couple's six-year-old daughter disappeared. Two News reporter Casey Robach talked to those closest to them she has their story all new at six. The Jamison's loved ones spent the sad anniversary here at the family's lakeside home in Eufaula. A year after their disappearance, the family's whereabouts are still a total mystery. I think right now it's so hard because I don't know. I don't know what happened. It's been a year since star Jamison's son Bobby, his wife Sherilyn, and their six-year-old daughter Madison vanished. A witness saw them on October 8, 2009, as they were exploring some land they were looking at buying in the Panola Mountains near Red Oak. Eleven days later, their truck was found abandoned on that same land. Their IDs, cell phones, cash, and their family dog were still locked inside. A search of the area came up empty. They don't deserve to be forgotten. Nikki Chenold is Sherilyn's best friend. She says false rumors of the couple's involvement in witchcraft and drugs have hindered the family's search for real answers. A lot of people are judging because they don't know them. And I knew them. I knew Sherilyn for 11 years. I've known Bobby for the last seven years. The kindest, most gentle man I've ever met. It's really hard because, you know, I know my son would protect his wife and my grandbaby. But, you know, I just grieve because I don't know. I don't know what's happened. During a vigil at the Jamisons' home, their loved ones released three colors of balloons, each representing a member of a family who remains lost. We love you, Bobby. We love you, Sherilyn. And we love you, Madison. We'll always love you and our prayers are with you. So long. I left numerous messages for the Latimer County Sheriff to see if there are any new developments in this case, but my calls went unreturned. Reporting from Lake Eufaula, Casey Roebuck, 2 News, works for you. 
a family of three mysteriously vanishes into thin mountain air. Their beliefs were a little unorthodox. And the circumstances surrounding the puzzling disappearance of Bobby, Sherilyn, and six-year-old Madison Jameson just before Halloween scares their family. She knew things about witchcraft. Sherilyn and Bobby believed that uh, there were spirits in, in their house, and it frightened them. But could their haunted house actually have scared the Jamesons to death? Sherilyn Jameson was known to dabble in the world of the supernatural. On a container near her home, she scrawled graffiti about witches and black cats. She did tell me that one time she had cast uh, demons out of someone. When she couldn't cast out the spirits inhabiting the family's house in the little town of Eufaula, Oklahoma, Sherilyn's mother, Connie, says the family decided to move. Sherilyn told me that they had plans to buy a piece of land in the mountains. Now the remote Sand Boys Mountains, about 30 miles away, hold all the dark secrets. It's where the couple was heading with their young daughter the day they disappeared. They didn't want to be around a lot of people. I think they just needed solitude. But when relatives discovered they hadn't returned after four days, they started to panic. All I could think of is what happened to him, what happened to him. Sherilyn's mother immediately feared the worst. When I first heard the news that morning, um, I felt in my heart that Sherilyn and Bobby and Madison had been killed. Former Latimer County Sheriff Israel Beecham was optimistic the Jamesons would be found alive. I didn't want to overreact, so I just assumed they were camping, maybe they were lost. But after seven days and counting, nagging suspicion became a resounding alarm. Then on the eighth day, a distressing discovery. The Jamesons' truck is found by a local hunter with the family dog alive and trapped inside. I can't imagine him leaving her in the car at all. Leaving their coats in the car, their phones, the GPS, the cameras. It just doesn't make any sense why they would just get up and walk up the mountain without anything. After finding the abandoned truck, Sheriff Beecham ramped up the search for the family. The search efforts is one of the largest Oklahoma has ever had before. We had a thousand volunteers, over 13 dog teams. We used a plane, UAVs, helicopters. The hunt for the Jamison family intensified and the mystery grew after deputies combed through their truck and found disturbing clues hidden inside. Angry letters. A cell phone photo of Madison taken the day the family disappeared. Empty pill bottles and $32,000 in cash. The money was in a Ziploc bag inside the bank bag. And he had buried it down underneath all of these tools. And he didn't expect anybody to find it. The large amount of cash fueled speculation that illegal drug activity was responsible for the family's disappearance. We know that they were on prescription pills, and when we say drugs, that does not mean that it was methamphetamine, marijuana, cocaine. It could have been just prescription pills. Empty pill bottles were found in the truck, but no other evidence of drugs was found in their home or car. Bobby took pain pills for back injuries. Also in the truck, investigators found disturbing letters. I will say that there was problems. That, in the very beginning, gave us a lot of concern. 
Sherilyn's own handwritten notes revealed she was frustrated with her husband. I would not wish my daughter to be raised in foster care because of you being in prison for attempted murder and her mother dead. The cops wondered if she had the motive to want him dead. They did have some disagreements on things, but you know, all marriages do. I don't think she meant all those things. Perhaps Sherilyn or someone she was involved with made the family disappear. They were just uh, abnormal individuals. You know, uh, we couldn't get rid of the idea that, hey, you know, maybe they just didn't want to be found. Did the Jamesons simply go off the grid and start a new life, leaving their beloved dog and a large amount of cash behind? Or did someone want to erase any trace of the Jameson family? I do think that they must have seen something they shouldn't have seen because nothing else makes sense. October 8th, 2009. The Jameson family, consisting of Bobby, age 44, Sherilyn, age 40, and six-year-old daughter Madison, mysteriously disappear from Red Oak, about 30 miles from Eufaula, Oklahoma, where they currently resided. The strange circumstances surrounding their disappearance and the facts known about the family's movements prior to their disappearance make this case quite unusual. Let's start at the beginning of Bobby and Sherilyn's relationship. The couple married in 2003 and shortly thereafter had their daughter Madison. Sherilyn had another son from a different relationship named Colton. The family lived in Eufaula, Oklahoma. In 2007, Sherilyn's sister passed away, which led Sherilyn to become depressed and she was diagnosed as bipolar and had an occasional manic episode. Bobby suffered severe back injuries from a car crash, which led to him being unable to work. This caused Bobby to become depressed as well as caused the family to run into money troubles. The injury and issues with money caused a lot of stress within the family. Colton, Sherilyn's son from another marriage, moved out of the Jameson house and in with his father just a few weeks before the disappearance. Yeah, so right here you've got uh, a pretty interesting (laughs) circumstance going on already, right? Like, you're painting the picture of uh, a couple who is, you know, they've got some, you know, a few problems, you know, right off the gate, you know, you got depression going on, you've got this back injury, um, you know, there's some interesting things going on around this couple. And as you, as you could hear in the trailer, you know, you hear like it gets really crazy towards the end. And obviously Mm -hmm. we'll get into detail as we go through this, you know, so this kind of just sets the stage for, all the mystery going, you know, surrounding their disappearance. Yeah. And it sounds like there was just relationship issues in general, um, with her son from the other marriage moving out that probably a lot of turmoil just in the house. So, you know, what didn't we know about, you know, everything that was going on from, a from the family perspective. Right. Yeah. I couldn't find anything regarding Colton and his status in the family when he, prior to him moving out, but you can only assume that based on some of the things that we'll get into, um, it probably wasn't that great. And he was probably like, I'm, I'm piecing out of here. I'm, I'm done. See you later. <laughs> I'm going to go live with dad. So, um, right. Yeah. So, uh, just one day prior on October 7th, the family's home security footage shows the couple methodically packing their truck in a stoic and strange manner. Each person walking back and forth to their house and to the truck at least 20 times over. Neither Bobby nor Sherilyn interact with each other as they appear to be focused on a mission, which is loading the truck. They're almost in like a zombie, zombie-like state, and they both, you know, they just look odd. They don't make any eye contact with each other. They don't acknowledge the other ones there. 
And some people believe that the couple was on drugs based on their movements in this video. It is thought that the couple are packing their belongings to travel up to Panola near Red Oak, Oklahoma, to look at a 40-acre plot of land they were interested in purchasing. However, Sherilyn's son from a previous relationship suggested that he spoke with her prior to the family's disappearance and she did not mention anything related to moving or purchasing land. However, the couple is seen up in the mountains as they did get lost and asked a landowner for directions. On October 8th, the family is believed to have returned to Panola to inspect the 40-acre plot where they were interested. Eight days later, on October 16th, their truck is discovered in Latimer County, Oklahoma. Now this is up in the mountains near Panola and Red Oak area, so you might hear those terms and those locations discussed. And quite honestly, I had no idea that Oklahoma even had mountains, so that was news to me. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Anyway, the family uh, went missing and their dog was still inside the truck. And the dog was emaciated and nearly starved to death. Also found inside the truck were the Jameson's IDs, wallets, cell phones, a GPS system, $32,000 in cash, and a prescription pill bottle belonging to an unknown man, and an 11-page angry letter from Sherilyn to Bobby. So you have uh, all this stuff found in the truck, and the family's missing, but their dog's there. So it's kind of strange. And I think it's kind of important because, you know, when you hear about the missing and you hear about this dog being left behind and then some of the theories that we'll get into later, this dog's a tiny dog. And I think it was even, I'm pretty sure it was still a puppy at the time. It it looks like a Maltese or something or like a a Shih Tzu, Mm -hmm. like one of those small kind of, you know, long, long ish hair, medium long hair dogs. So, you know, it, it doesn't seem like to me at least at this point, the dog is left in the car because it could hurt whoever was responsible for their disappearance if if that's even part of the case you know so i just wanted to bring that up um what did you think about uh when you first read this and you know you're doing your research and you see the all the things that were left in the car what were your initial thoughts on that well the the picture was kind of painted that they had money problems because um he wasn't working from his back injury and whatnot, but I find it kind of odd that there's $32,000 in cash. I don't know about you, but I've never had my hands on that much cash in my life ever. <laughs> and that's a, I've always had a steady job and that's a ton of cash to have on hand. Yeah. No kidding. So that, con- that that's kind of a, a strange angle and you know, where did this cash come from? Why did they have so much on them in their truck with everything else that seemed like that they owned or, their personal belongings. Yeah. And then the one other, uh, well, there's two other things I would like to discuss here. One of them is that 11 page letter. So I wasn't able to track it down. I looked for a little bit and I, I couldn't find it. I was hoping to be able to read it. It sounds like some, some of those news clips, somebody got a hold of it unless they're just making stuff up. Um, it sounded like there was somebody reading an excerpt from it. However, I don't know that to be true because I couldn't find it and validate it myself. Um, I want to know what was all in that letter, but it's basically described as an angry letter that Sherilyn was writing to Bobby um, about their relationship and how she was unhappy. So, um, you know, that leads to a lot of speculation. And again, you know, sorry to do this, but we'll get into that all at the end. So I don't want to talk about it a ton here. Um, But one thing I do want to talk about here in detail is this pill bottle. So the pill bottle is marked with someone else's name that's not in the family. And at first, nobody knows whose pill bottle this is. But come to find out, it's a former friend 
and handyman who boarded with the family in July of 2009. And this man, when he was living there, Sherilyn admitted that she had Indian blood in her family. And the man got really upset and said that anyone who wasn't purely white needed to die. And so at this point, Sherilyn thought it was a threat to her and her family. And so she, um, she took her pistol. She was a 22 caliber pistol and she forced him to leave. And I believe she even fired some warning shots um, at his feet and told him to get out of the house and he left and never came back. And then after that, you know, immediately after that incident, she was just, she broke down and she was just bawling. She was crying and she couldn't contain her emotions because she had never even shot a gun before. And so, you know, I just found that to be, I don't know, somewhat strange behavior. Just that whole story is strange to me. And I thought it was just bizarre how you have a gun, you're willing to shoot it at someone's feet to kick them out of your house, but then you like go into a complete like breakdown afterwards. So I feel like either there's a lot more to that story than we're told, or she really is a little bit nuts. Yeah, I think as we get further down the story and um, what actually unfolds, I think I think there's a little bit to the being a little bit completely nuts <laughs> side of that. Yeah, so. I would agree. Um, and and lastly, I just want to mention, you know, uh, because we don't talk about it anywhere else, the the man whose name is on this bottle is talked to by the police at some point and is cleared of having anything to do with this case at all. But I just wanted to point that out here. So in less than 24 hours, a search team was established and began looking for the family. The search included helicopter, horses, cadaver, scent dogs. The search team poured over the area but not did not find any trace of the family. The tr- train was difficult, so it seems unlikely that Bobby would do very well in these conditions since we, he had a known back problem. Days turned to weeks, weeks turned to months, months turned to years. Still no sign of the family. It wasn't until November 16th, 2013, some hunters that were on four-wheelers discovered skeletal remains of three bodies lying face down in the dirt. The remains were located approximately three miles from the abandoned truck. However, the actual distance to get there was closer to seven miles when you factor in the path that you would have to take on foot through that terrain. The authorities recovered the remains and sent them from testing for testing. It wasn't until July 3rd, 2014, the remains were able to be identified as the missing Jameson family. To put that into perspective, it was four years and eight months since the discovery of the empty truck to the time the family was confirmed to be the deceased found in the woods. So, you know, you have the family discovered, you just have these remains and with the remains, they also had, you know, several items of clothing, uh, but the bodies were, you know, super decomposed. I never came across, I don't know if you did, when they were searching, did they ever search the area that they ended up finding them in? I, I never was able to confirm or deny that. No, I wasn't either. And there was not really any great detail on, you know, anything that was found in that area other than the skeletal remains. At that point, it's basically clothing with bones inside of them. It's after a four-year period of time, it's even kind of impressive to me that they could determine that all of the bodies were face down in the dirt. You know, nothing had... I'm sure at some point there had to be some kind of animal or varmint that would have kind of stirred the scene a little bit, you know, because mm-hmm. of the, this is what animals do oh, out yeah. in the wilderness. But I, how I, did they determine they were face down? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, uh, apparently the, the remains were somewhat preserved in that regard where like, you know, their body positioning was relatively the same. So maybe they were just kind of 
I don't know, maybe they were in such a remote spot that the animals weren't even really in that spot that much either. Who knows? The terrain might just be that difficult in the area that they were in that, you know, most animals don't even really go over there, at least the kind that would, mm-hmm. you know, scavenge on dead bodies. Um, yeah, and it, it, it's weird because <laughs> this the truck is just sitting there empty. You've got all this stuff in it, and they're only three miles away from, from where the truck is found, yet nobody was able to find them, and they're, they're relatively close. Now, we said it'd take seven miles on foot to find them, which, you know, I know the terrain's pretty rough. And, you know, that leads to speculation, too. You know, like, how would Bobby do walking around if he had a back injury? If the terrain is this rough and it takes you seven miles to go for three miles, you know, in a linear distance to your truck, and it actually takes you seven to get there, like, could he actually handle, you know, hiking that terrain like that? And I'm not sure that he could. So it's just kind of, you know, one of those things that's just... It, it leads to the mystery of this case. Yeah. I think that, I don't know though. I mean, if he was determined to do something nefarious, it, you know, if his plan was to, to go for so long and then if it was truly a murder suicide, um, you know, obviously there's no details around, you know, the cause of death. I think it's safe to assume that they were shot if they were laying face down, did he execute his wife and daughter while they were face down in the dirt so they weren't looking at him when he did it? Then he laid down next to them and shot himself? Yeah, it's hard to say, you know, because kind of hard to execute yourself laying face down. Most people don't, you know, usually it's the opposite way or sitting up and then you just fall down. I mean, you could put a gun to the back of your own head, but I feel like they would have known that. But I, I didn't also find much about the condition of the actual skeletal remains, but knowing that it took them as long as it did to identify who they were, I'm wondering what state those bones were in because, you know, the autopsy report came back and it was inconclusive as to the cause of death. You know, they had no idea. So if they couldn't tell the cause of death, I'm just wondering if either the the remains were so decomposed that like a bullet hole wasn't obvious, you know, like were the, were the skulls fully intact, you know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel like you'd be able to tell in most cases if you've been shot, but in this case, you know, I don't really know a whole lot about the state of the remains. So that's a big question I had and I didn't find a great answer to it. Yeah. The, the bones would have definitely been weathered. I don't know. I, I, I would think if the skull were was intact, you would, and a gun was used for the murder, suicide, whatever it ended up being, you're going to know the location of where the bullet entered. You know, anywhere else on the body, it's going to be rough, especially after four years. Well, not only that, though. And just if you, if you had a murder-suicide scenario, don't you think they would have recovered a weapon? Yeah. So... I, I don't know. Anyway, I think um, we're getting, we're starting to get into the theories here. So why don't you go ahead and start on the uh, the actual theory section of this? Because this is where this really gets fascinating, and this is my favorite part of the case. Theories surrounding what happened to the Jameis family have swirled since the disappearance, but nothing has ever been substantiated. There are four popular theories regarding the circumstances around the, their bizarre demise. We'll take a look at them now. One theory suggests that it was a murder-suicide. Both adults had suffered from depression, Sherilyn most recently after the death of her sister. A spiteful 11-page letter written to Bobby from Sherilyn was found in the abandoned truck. 
and Sherilyn's twenty-two caliber pistol was missing. The couple may have considered separating, and the letter Sherilyn penned to Bobby was reportedly angry and perhaps invoked a fight between the two, which escalated to a murder-suicide. It's pure speculation, but the family suggests Sherilyn used this method to cope with her feelings and would write these types of letters to help relieve her stress. Another theory in relation to the murder-suicide points to Bobby's father, Bob Jameson Sr. Bobby had a contemptuous relationship with his father. Bobby agreed to help work with his dad at his father's gas station for free. Bobby was under the impression he would receive half of the sales value for his help. However, that this did not happen. Bobby ended up suing his father. Bobby's father removed Bobby and Sherilyn from his will and only included their daughter, Madison. The main issue was, is that when the Jamesons disappeared, Bob Sr. was not in good health, and the authorities seemed to believe he was not involved. Yeah, so here's our murder-suicide scenario. And while you were going over the details... I was thinking to myself, how could murder-suicide have played out? And the one thing I was coming up with was potentially poison. Now, I don't know if they poison themselves. I don't know how much of that stays in the body and like seeps into the bones or anything. So when they do an autopsy, if they're able to determine any of that, I assume that it doesn't. Like, you know, if you took some kind of poison, I assume that if your remains are so decomposed, you're SOL at that point. Like, there's no knowing for sure, um, unless it's like some ridiculously high amount of poison, maybe. So I'm wondering if potentially, you know, Bobby poisoned, you know, his wife and daughter and then and then himself. And that's how they were all face down, you know, or something like that. You know, if you're going to just trying to think about this theory, you know, and all the possible options. Yeah, I think it has to either be they were poisoned and laid down and passed away or, you know, like the gun was never recovered. So kind of sort of throws out the theory that it was murder suicide with the gun that either Bobby or Sherilyn shot the other two. And then they ended up shooting themselves and, you know, kind of back to that pill bottle that you discussed there a second ago, you know, it was never really revealed what the prescription was for or what that pill bottle was. So, yeah, I think I think it was painkillers, you know, something that Bobby would take for his back, if I remember. But even so, uh, I don't know that for a fact. But even so, the um, it, it would still be pretty hard to pull this off and, and have them all lay down, like, nice and neat. You know, like, it, if you did something like this, two of the three people would have to be dead, and then the third person, like... Right voluntarily lays themselves face down and dies um and the other option i guess could be that you know the first two were shot and killed and laid face down and he discarded the gun or she discards the gun and just hides it or gets rid of it somewhere and then you know poisons himself or whatever or ods on drugs or whatever the case is and and then you know lays down next to the bodies and dies as well i just find that hard to believe because you know, when you think about it, I, I don't know about you, but if I put myself in that scenario, I'm probably laying on my back. Like, if you're going to poison yourself or OD on purpose, unless you just, like, the way it's described is the bodies are, like, right next to each other, all face down in a row. So, to me, that suggests that it was, they were put there, you know, they were laid face down, um, you know, neatly next to each other. I wouldn't voluntarily put my face into the dirt, even if I was going to kill myself. That's not how I would do it. No, and it, even if it's a drug overdose, it, that something like that takes a little bit to happen. You're mm -hmm. not going to lay there, you know, in your last few minutes face down until you finally perish, I don't think. And, you know, mm -hmm. no, not at I, all. I'm agreeing, I'm agreeing with what you're saying. It, the 
the way that they were laid there almost sounds like they were positioned intentionally, kind of like yeah, placed there in a specific manner. Exactly. So even if two out of the three people were killed by one, you know, that one other person there, the third person lying face down is bizarre to me because, like I said, even if you shoot yourself, you're not going to shoot yourself laying down like that. I mean, if I'm going to shoot myself, it's going to be in the forehead, temple, or through the mouth. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you're not gonna. And you're not going to, like, lay down on your stomach and put a gun on the back of your head. Like, and then they would find the weapon. That didn't happen, you know, because the gun's not going to go anywhere. So, to me, I don't believe in the murder-suicide part of this. But let's talk about uh, Bob Sr. here. So, you mentioned that uh, Bob had a contemptuous relationship with Bobby, his son, over this gas station. And that that's only probably half of the stuff that we even know. You know what I mean? It sounds like these guys were <laughs> pretty nuts. Um, you have to look at this holistically. And, you know, I we've had family members in the past where, like, people get taken in and out of the will constantly because of whatever argument is going on at that point in time. And so if you've got that going on, usually the people getting removed from the will are a little bit crazy. Or the person who is doing it is absolutely crazy. Like most normal people aren't constantly pulling people in and out of the will, stuff like that. Like that's just bizarre behavior to have. So that suggests to me, based on a lot of the stuff that we've talked about, that Bobby and Sherilyn were in a very strange state. You know, they're, something's no. up with them, right? Like if you're willing to take them out of the will, something else is going on. And so... Yeah. I was going to say, maybe he... Yeah, I, I I know what angle you're taking here. Maybe he saw you know, their mental state and what was going on. And that's why he had changed his will just to Madison, just to the little girl was like, you know, I'm not going to give these crazy people, you know, what I've worked my life away for. They don't deserve it. They're going to squander it away. You know, they're, they're off their rocker, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And And you're right. Little girl's girl's never going to see anything from that. So I'm going to give it to her directly. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, the the other part that's you know talked about is that so Bobby was I guess I read a few things and I'm not quite sure exactly how this lines up so pardon me if this is slightly off but I think he was in schooling and then his dad said come work for me and so he like worked for him for free and then the deal was he was selling his gas station and that Bobby would get half the proceeds is how, how it's described. So it sounds pretty straightforward, right? Like, Hey, you just come work for me. I'm selling this gas station. When it sells, I'll give you half the value. We'll split it 50, 50. We're good to go. That doesn't happen. And that's what leads Bobby to get pissed at his dad is that this happens. And moving forward, he doesn't get any money out of it. And he's upset and doesn't know, you know, why it, it's almost the picture is almost painted as if like Bobby had no fault in the situation at all, and his dad's just being a jerk. Uh, but it goes that goes back though to the thirty-two thousand in cash. Where did he get that? Do you know, it, it could have been reported that Bob Senior had wrote him out of the will, but if he had already sold his business and had access to, you know, a fair amount of cash, did, did he end up feeling bad and giving him some? And that, that was it. And that was kind of like going back to the murder suicide theory again. And is that his like ultimate F you to his dad is like, you gave this to me. Look, I still got it. Now we're gone. 
Well, I, feel, yeah, I, I don't know. It's kind of a crazy spin. <laughs> yeah, if if his dad gave him that money, I feel like that would have come out in the investigation. But still, we still don't know where this $32,000 comes from. And I guess I should also mention, you know, some people have mentioned that this family is known for carrying around large amounts of cash, which I don't think 32000 was normal, but, you know, like maybe a few grand. I still don't understand this. Like, they paint the family as poor constantly, yet they're always carrying around a lot of cash. That's bizarre to me, you know, and that tells me there's something that's not quite on the up and up, just in general. And then you go with their behavior. So there's a few other, you know, we, we mentioned there's a security camera footage of this couple going back and forth. And I'll try to post a link to that in our show notes so that if you want, you can just go click on it and watch it on YouTube. There's, they're going back and forth and in, in like packing their truck before they take this trip, but they both look like zombies and they're very thin and they're just like strung out looking. You know, and a lot of people look at this video and they point to this video as like proof that they're on drugs. But the police never find anything, you know, in the house. I guess let me get into this here officially because this is our next theory is is drugs. So um, Red Oak was known for producing crystal meth and Sherilyn and Bobby both look emaciated in the weeks before their disappearance. And the security video shows them walking back and forth, you know, in a trance-like state, like we mentioned earlier, and they have a huge amount of cash in their truck. And that makes this a credible theory, you know, when you when you look at all these quote-unquote facts, right? And you're just looking at that and you see a lot of money, emaciated look, zombie-like state, you know, you just, you could assume they're strung out on something. And even Sherilyn's best friend, Nikki, thought that it might be possible that they were involved in a one-off meth deal because they were experiencing money trouble. So there's a lot of questions that surround that, right? Like, where did you get this $32,000, which we've been talking about? Um, why are you losing so much weight in the weeks leading up? Do you have a drug habit? Um, and the thing that happens is the police go to the home and search the home. And they don't find any evidence of drugs. I feel like if you were just like up and vanishing like that, taking off to go look at this 40 acre plot of land, like you're not cleaning up your your house to you know hide drug use or anything so uh, nothing to me suggests you would be careful enough to cover that up if, if you had proof of that at your home unless they just naturally were trying to hide it i don't think you would be in that state of mind though that you i don't want anybody to know that i'm a drug addict and i'm gonna cover my tracks especially if you're to the point where you're emaciated and you're such a heavy user that you're walking around like a zombie, packing your truck, not making eye contact with your partner, and just it's just completely and totally weird. I don't think that you're gonna have the you're not gonna have the you know the resolve to go back and clean up after yourself. Say I don't want anybody to know that I'm a meth addict. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. That that's how I feel. Like you know, if you're on drugs, you don't usually care to cover up your tracks. Um, you know, I've had family members who had a drug problem and there were always telltale signs and they never covered them up, even though it was so obvious to everybody. Like as much as you didn't want me to know you were on drugs, I always knew you were on drugs and you knew I always knew you were on drugs. You never hit it. Like you just, you don't care. The addiction is like so strong. You just don't care at that point. You just do. And especially the kind of drugs that they're talking about here, like crystal meth. I mean, that's a pretty hard drug. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's not like you're trying to hide your weed addiction, and you just like to go get high and you hide all your stuff and then you spray your perfume on your clothes when you're done, you know, move on so you don't smell like skunk ass. But, you know, like that's that's a little different. You know, that's almost like a functioning drug, even as alcohol can be a functional drug for some people where, you know, you don't know they're a drunk and 
because they go home after work and get drunk and pass out and then they come back to work the next day and they just don't do it at work um you know you have some of those people who can function like that but if you're doing crystal meth i feel like you're not hiding that habit very well and you're probably not worried about covering your tracks at home no i completely agree and there's other physical aspects to meth addiction it's not just losing a ton of weight i mean you see you see these pictures of people with like physical open sores on their body and teeth rotting out and it's just it's an awful awful drug and i it it, if waste a person away to the point where i don't think they're gonna they're gonna have the you know the will to cover up what's going on they're just not gonna care they're gonna be that far gone oh yeah absolutely and the you know we're gonna i think segue here into the next um you know theory in the last theory but the the part about this to me that i i don't buy from the drug theory is that if if they were on drugs again you would have found traces of this somewhere in between the car or the home or i think interviewing everybody you know they're from a small town i don't feel like you could hide that for very long like some i feel like they would have overturned that rock at some point and figured out that they were had a kind of drug habit or drug problem you know whether it be you know someone in the family a friend an acquaintance, somebody who comes out of the woodwork because if the family goes missing, you know, likely somebody cared who did drugs with them. You know, you could have had somebody who was like, Oh yeah, I knew those people, you know? Yeah. They had a drug problem. End of story. Like somebody would have come out and said something, you know, it was such a strange case and in a small town. Mm -hmm. But what I think here, uh, that I think that, I think that you can explain the emaciated look, um, and all that. I think you can, basically say they were depressed they were running out of money they probably weren't eating the two may have been fighting a lot um you know perhaps that's the explanation for why they looked so thin and why they were kind of catatonic when they were going back and forth to their car and you know like maybe that's why maybe you can explain it there like they were just on a mission you know like we don't we don't agree right now. We're in, in a bad state, but we're going to go look at this land. We're going to try and get away from everything, get away from it all, get away from our problems. Let's just pack up this truck and go. I think the next theory that we're segueing into, kind of, it may shed a little more light on, you know, the drug side of things and possibly what the $32,000 in cash was for. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we'll talk about that now. So the, the next theory, I believe this is our last theory is, um, it's kind of interesting, but you heard it in the trailer. It's the theory about witchcraft. So the most unusual theory behind the Jameson family has to do with cults, witchcraft, and evil spirits. During the initial investigation, before the bodies were found, the family's pastor, Gary Brandon, told police the Jamesons had been involved in quote-unquote spiritual warfare. Both Bobby and Sherilyn claimed to have seen spirits in their house, belonging to a family who died long ago. Their daughter, Madison, claimed to speak to a spirit child who died in the house. Bobby asks his pastor for special bullets to shoot the spirits with and claimed he consulted a satanic Bible to exercise the property. <laughs> Sorry, I can't even say that with a straight face. <laughs> Just sounds ridiculous. I know I'm chuckling too. Nikki admits both she and Sherilyn were interested in witches and both had bought witches' Bibles as a joke, which the police found when searching the Jameson property. Despite joking about witches, Nikki felt the Jameson house was haunted. Once I was in the living room, and the sort of gray mist descended down the stairs. It really scared me, she said. Sherilyn told her gentle husband Bobby would come towards her with eyes completely dead and black, 
like he was possessed. An interesting story that could lend some credence to this theory goes like this. After a cat was killed at Sherilyn's mother's home, Sherilyn wrote in graffiti on a storage container, Three cats killed today by people in this area. Witches don't like their black cats killed. Connie, her mother, claims that because she was trying to scare people off and isolate themselves. Yes. Again, I had a hard time not laughing while we're reading these things. Sorry to any of you Wiccans out there. I don't mean to offend. Um, This just seems a bit ridiculous. Um, But again, like some people will use this to tie this into the drug theory, right? They're on drugs, they're strung out, and then they're seeing spirits, which maybe could be, I guess. I don't know. Um, But there's also this story of... Sherilyn and her friend buying those uh, witches' Bibles. And, you know, Nikki, her friend, claims it's it's a joke, right? But um, it doesn't necessarily seem that way. It, it almost seems like Sherilyn took it for real. And maybe Nikki took it as a joke, but Sherilyn took it for real. You ever, you know, you ever joke with somebody about something, but you're kind of serious because you're just trying to gauge their feelings about what you're joking on? You know, it's like trying to get into, like, uncharted territory. So you, you'll say something as a joke a quote-unquote joke, and then, you know, you're just trying to see what their reaction is. Oh, yeah, definitely. I've done that before. It's just this, to kind of see, to gauge, you know, what they think you're thinking. Do, do these people think I'm crazy? Do they think I'm joking? I I, I don't know. I, I Even the Witch's Bible, I think, are a little bit silly spin on this story. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how much water it holds to the overall theories of what happened in investigations. It, yeah, if they're on drugs, they're getting strung out they might be starting to lose their mind a little bit but it's just there's some underlying beliefs there that possibly tie this theory into the the overall story i just it's it's a weird theory to me well wait a minute because i'm going to take you down a road here and i (laughs) come with me for the ride i think it's gonna be kind of interesting so i'm thinking uh you know think about terrorists right muslim terrorists and they believe in this you know, this, their Quran and they believe in their, you know, so strongly and what their, their convictions are, they're willing to fly planes into buildings and no one says, man, those guys are strung out on drugs. You know, no one says that they just think they're nuts. Well, what if this family just for whatever reason has gotten into witchcraft and spirits and they are just nuts. And so then you see it as they're kind of, you know, winding down here to towards their demise and that, you know, they really just believe it and that's what they're into and it's their thing. And so, you know, you get to this point and they're, they're emaciated. They're not eating because they're maybe preparing for a sacrifice or preparing for something, you know, bizarre related to this, this witchcraft story. And they're just so, you know, steadfast in their beliefs that, that this is real to them and that explains why they look the way they do and why they, you know, seem to exhibit odd behavior and you couldn't find anything about drugs. Well, maybe there weren't any drugs aside from maybe the, the pain pills Bobby was taking for his back, you know? So what if that's, what if that's really the case? What if they were just so, you know, into a spiritual trance or whatever that they felt, possessed to go out to this particular plot of land to do whatever they were going to do, you know? Well, I think it definitely, I see what your point is there. And that lends a lot of credibility to the fact that maybe they did poison themselves. You you read a lot about these, these cults that they get their people so emotionally invested in their beliefs and 
their ways of thinking that they 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 come to the conclusion that the ultimate demise is they can sacrifice their entire following and some of the most classic you know popular cases we've heard of throughout history these people you know they drink the grape kool-aid yeah, kill himself it's tainted with arsenic it, it's their way out their way to the next dimension so i mean i think you could be onto something there too yeah and and you know i don't necessarily buy the story from the perspective of like there was a cult that was out to get them or that you know they were part of some larger thing i'm thinking of this like locally like it's just these two and their daughter happens to get pulled into the sick, twisted plot, which, I mean, that's something we haven't even really talked about, is you had a six-year-old, and she's, you know, she's also killed. And if if the mother and father are responsible for this, like, how disgusting, you know, to pull your child in like this. And no one, the odd thing is, the whole family seems to be a bunch of deniers. Like, any of these theories are always denied by the family. The only one that's accepted is that, you know, I think it was... uh Sherilyn's mom believes that it was like they witnessed a, you know, a murder or witnessed some crime that they weren't supposed to see. And then they too were caught up in it and killed, um, which could be, I mean, and I, I don't know that we really talked about that in detail. And that is a theory. I think it kind of goes in with the murder suicide situation. Um, you know, so sorry, I'm going to kind of jump back to that for a minute. And we didn't really talk about this either, but, uh, you know, there was no sign of a struggle with the car. You know, or the truck, when they found the truck. There was no sign of a struggle, which means that somebody could have forced the family away via gunpoint, taken them to a remote location and executed them and been done with it. It doesn't really explain why the dogs left in the car. That's kind of weird. And then none of the stuff was stolen. So you think that they would just steal stuff. <laughs> if I mean, if you're going to kill the family, why not take all their crap, especially when there's $30,000 in the car? So, you know, there's a lot of odd stuff going on. I'm I'm not sure of where I am right now. I'm still trying to make up my mind. I don't know mm-hmm. about you, but it's just... I, mean, I, I like I like the point that you made about the family kind of being in denial and and coming up with all this series on their own. You, you mentioned that the one family member said they could have been a witness to a crime or whatever, but you know, go back to Colton leaving the house. Maybe he knew they were batshit crazy into some bad stuff and wanted to distance himself from that, right? Maybe he saw, you know, the start of their downhill slide and it's like, I don't want anything to do with this. I don't want to, I don't want to get tangled into this, you know, this ultimate plot that ends up with them all dying. Maybe he knew he had gotten hints that something like that was going to happen. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe. I, yeah. He never mentions he anything. Want to talk to authorities about it. <laughs> that's true. I mean, that, that is true. He never mentions anything, and maybe he feels guilty, you know, if that's the case. If he had a feeling that something weird was going on, so he left the house, and then all of a sudden, like, you know, his six-year-old sister is killed because of these crazy parents, maybe he does carry some guilt, and he doesn't want to admit what he knows. Maybe. I, I could see that being part of it. I, I, I mean, anything's possible right now. You know, we're getting into really crazy theories and stuff. So, you know, it, it could be any of the above, but I don't know. Um it's it's a bizarre situation in a strange circumstance, that's for sure. So I'll just say this kind of to wrap up this last part of the the official part of this case, and then we can talk about a little bit more about these theories. But um, the trail in the Jameson case is now cold, and Israel Beecham, the sheriff who was you know leading the investigation at the time of the disappearance, he quit the force in 2011 and moved overseas. And a lot of people say that's uh, because he couldn't 
stand the guilt of not being able to find Madison's killer. And Pastor Gary Brandon also left the area shortly after the Jameson disappearance and has not spoken to anyone about the case. Even though the Jameson's remains were found and put to rest, not knowing what happened has caused torment to the surviving friends and family that will probably never end. So the last thing that I want to say, I want to ask you is, um, what are your final thoughts? If you had to pick a theory and you needed to say, this is what I think happened, where are you going? Break it down for me. If I had to pick a theory, my theory is that the $32,000 cash, we don't know where it came from but somehow they were able to get their hands on it. I think it was part of a larger crime. I, I think th they had not driven to that property to look at it, you know, as interesting, as interested um, potential property owners. I think they were going there for something more nefarious. I think, and we know that that area is rife with meth production and this and that. I, I, I think that they might have been, ended up on, you know, the wrong side of a drug deal. I don't no, I mean, if that's the case, the only unexplained fact with that theory is why was the $32,000 cash still in the car? Unless the person that they were meaning to conspire with, you know, freaked out after he had killed, you know, mom and uh, mother, father and their six-year-old daughter and just fled the area and left the cash behind and didn't touch anything in the truck because he didn't want to leave any evidence behind. That's kind of the theory I'm going with. Yeah, I... I tend to lean toward that theory simply because the, so I have some strange thoughts, you know, like I'm conflicted on what the $32,000 is for. And to me, that kind of hinges on what happened. So did they have $32,000 because they were going to buy this property and where did they get it from? That's what I want to know because to me, that answers a lot of questions. Like, you know, it's not like he drained a 401k account because no one's talking about it. You know, it's not like they had it in their bank account because, you know, he was on disability. So where did it come from? You know, and, and to me, that that would be the linchpin that helps answer this this question. And it helps us narrow down the possible theories. I find the witchcraft thing a little interesting, though. Not going to lie. And not, and like I said, not in the sense that there was a cult that was out to get them, but... Because I feel like Sherilyn was so batshit crazy that, you know, she may have just lost her mind. And Bobby may have lost his mind as well. I don't know. And the way that they're methodically packing that truck, it's almost like they're on a mission for something. And where they're going, I don't know. You know, like, what what kind of mission are they after? Are, are they trying to... Are they just because they're stoic because they're scared? They're stoic because they know it's the end. They're stoic because they have a drug deal coming up and they're just like, let's get this shit done. Let's go. Let's get it done. All of them have some weight to them that I can't quite clear them, you know, and separate them all from each other. I just don't know. Or, or, or mm -hmm. if to, the, the other thing in this is how did they die? And so the other thing is maybe you know, one of, you know, either Bobby or Sherilyn had a nefarious plan and didn't, you know, wasn't on the up and up and made it staged as if they were doing one thing when they were there for another reason. So, you know, if Bobby was say, Hey, I got this drug deal going on, but really his plan was to poison his family and himself. And so he set up everything like they were going up there to do a drug deal, brought the cash you know, said, let's go, here's where we're going. But really it was, 
no, I'm, I'm going to actually poison you guys and we're going to kill each other. You know, I'm going to kill myself afterwards and, you know, we're all going to die in the woods. But again, they're found all face down. So I don't know that I buy that theory either. <sighs> I, yeah. This one's tough for me. That... <laughs> <laughs> it's a very, very, it's an interesting story, but it's very confusing. And I, I think with all the theories that are out there and the, you know, the gap in time from when they disappeared until when they were found and just all of the unanswered questions, I pretty easy to see why this still is a cold case. I, I think it's, I mean, that last little segment there that you covered about everyone moving away and no one speaking about it anymore. That's to me, that's even kind of weird. How many people quit their jobs and move overseas, especially if you're the sheriff of a County. Yeah, that is really weird. <laughs> yeah, and that guy seemed like a uh-huh. like a good old boy. Like he would be like you know, he, like he's an, an American. Like, uh, oh yeah, he's you know he's a you know I'm a diehard hunter and Republican, and I live in the heart of Oklahoma. Like that's the guy that I see when I see that guy. Like he just seems like that man to me. And for him to just move overseas just seems completely bizarre to me. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Back to my theory. Okay. I think I'm gonna align with you on this. And I think I'm going to agree that there was some type of drug deal that was supposed to happen, whether they were buying or selling, um, and something went wrong, and then they were all executed and left in the woods. That's that's my final theory. I think it makes the most sense when you actually like weed out all the bullshit that's around the story and you get right down to the facts. I think that the large amount of cash that no one knows where it came from, I feel like it has to be from drugs. They don't necessarily have to do drugs either, you know? They just have to sell them. And so maybe no, some of the other stuff that was going on, you know, that made them emaciated and whatnot just was just bizarre circumstances. And maybe they owed someone a shitload of money. And so that's why they they uh, look so odd, like almost like, you know, almost like they know something bad is coming. Like they're just not happy about it. Like we got to go do this thing. And, you know, we're not excited about it. But then something else bad happens to them instead of what they thought. That's what I'm going to go with. Yeah. Because no one's talking. Yeah. And they don't even necessarily have to be the buyer or the seller. They could just be the middleman. Mm-hmm. They could be the person that, that took that $32,000 from someone who's purchasing a larger amount of of drugs to distribute after the fact. And they're just a delivery person. Mm-hmm. And maybe maybe that that process got screwed up and maybe Bobby got greedy, put his hand in the till and paid his whole family paid the ultimate price. Yeah. You know, that could, that could very well be the case. I think I'm going to lean on the side of it was drug related and that something happened to them because of drugs. And, and like you said, the person either didn't know or didn't want to go back to the truck for the 32,000 because they didn't know it was there or they didn't want to touch the car because they didn't want to put fingerprints on it and give themselves away. Mm -hmm. And that's why you don't have Sherilyn's gun. You know, maybe they took the gun too. You know, the other, yeah, I mean the one other, sorry, I mean, I could drag this on for days, I feel like, but the one other thing that was interesting was, so her gun goes missing, but they also got lost at one point when they got up in the mountains the first day. Because the second day is when they actually disappear. The first day, there's a man on the mountain who they drive by and ask for directions because they're lost. And they did. T- the police talked to that guy, and you know, obviously, they don't connect them to the crime. But you know, it's just it would be interesting if there the, uh, there's a, another person up there, you know, who stole her gun and kills him with it, you know, and then takes off. And and it has nothing to do with drugs. It's just a random 
Like I just found these people, crime of opportunity, I'm a murderer kind of thing. So I lean lean on that side, I guess, like something like that. There's so many, so many variables here. Unfortunately, it sounds to me like that this case is probably going to be cold for a long, long time. It may never be solved. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. I think so. Well, um, I think I've probably exhausted all things I have to say on this. Did you have any other final thoughts? It's another horrific case where I I think the ultimate victim in this case was a six-year-old little girl because she had no idea what her parents were into. And ultimately, I think she was the probably the worst victim in this case. I 100% agree. I mean, um, you know, there was one thing we didn't really touch on and there was a, there was a final photograph of that girl that was taken on his cell phone. And there's debate over whether she's throwing a tantrum, being forced to do something she doesn't want to do or, um, you know, or something else. Right. And, you know, we didn't really talk about that very much because I don't really think it lends to these theories very well, except for if they're being forced to go do something they don't want to do. And whoever killed them took this picture on Bobby's phone, you know, and, was kind of making a mockery of the situation. That's the only way that I see that picture really playing at all in in this case. So I did want to mention that, you know, it's not something that we did, you know, I didn't want to forget to mention it. Um, So I don't know. I'll put that photo out there, you know, during one of the chapters of the show. So if you're listening on a podcast player that supports chapters, you can look and it'll flip the album art from our logo over to certain things that we discussed during the case. So, um, you know, that, that is... You know, uh, sad occurrence that this daughter, Madison, was, you know, held up in this, unfortunately. Yep, totally agree. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this week's episode. This was case number three, the Jameson family disappearance. We're going to put that case file away. I would like to say in closing that if you have any information on the disappearance of the family, you can contact the Latimer County Sheriff's Office at 918-465-2021 and... I would just like to thank you guys for listening. And if you enjoy our show, please rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. If you would like to support us financially, please head out to our website, www.killerpod.net, and click on the support button at the top of the page or via the navigation menu. Follow us on social media, on Twitter at killer underscore podcast, on Instagram at killer podcast, all one word. Facebook is facebook.com forward slash killer podcast, or you can email us killerpodcast at gmail.com. Stay safe, everyone. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.